Welcome to the ASHP Advantage Podcast, engaging the experts on ASHP Official, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners about the latest issues in pharmacy and healthcare. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Marielle Pareda, and I'm joined by Matt Kelm. Today's episode is part of the ASHP Advantage podcast series, Engaging the Experts, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners. The episode is sponsored by Chiesi USA and is for informational purposes and not approved for continuing education credit. Please visit the Technician Recruitment and Retention Resource Center at www.rxtechteam.org for more resources on this topic. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started talking about today's topic on models for pharmacy technician training programs. Both Matt and I have been involved in the creation and ongoing oversight of pharmacy technician training programs at our organizations. I'll get us started with our first question today, which I'll uh, kick off to Matt. To start out, what was the impetus for you at your organization to start a pharmacy technician training program? Well, Marielle, it's great to see you again. Uh, You and I go way back. We do. Certainly, as your time as a student at UNC Chapel Hill, um, I think uh, during your rotations uh, with us here at Duke. And then you and I just keep bumping into each other because we both created awesome pharmacy technician training programs. Uh, Use different models, but both, I think, have been super effective. In terms of the impetus, we actually started kicking around this idea quite a while ago. Um, It started back in 2016 when we recognized a couple of things had happened, right? There was a change in federal funding around community college-based programs and what they could access in terms of tuition reimbursement. And at that time, ASHP really was making a push that more health systems should get involved in pharmacy technician training programs. I think uh, you and I both probably realize pharmacy departments are really good at training people, right? Pharmacy students, pharmacy residents. Uh, And if we were to invest just a little bit in our pharmacy technicians, we could probably create something pretty great. It took us a couple of years to get it off the ground. And we actually ended up moving forward with ours in 2018. But it was really about a strategic investment for us, right? It was around um, being able to forecast what we were going to need, both with growth, just more beds added to our hospitals, um, but also new roles we were seeing pharmacy technicians in, right? Things like MedRec, prior authorization support. These were expanded roles for pharmacy technicians back then, and that was a real driver for us. I think the second part is, while we partnered then and still do with our community college partners, we felt that they really trained pharmacy technician students for not necessarily health system applications, right? So they maybe gave them a very good broad overview, um, but back then we didn't think that they were particularly well-trained for health system applications. And that was really our impetus to look at a program and, and how would we get one off the road. What about you? How did you guys decide to get started? We had a very similar journey. The conversation started very much uh, like most new programs in pharmacy departments, which so just an idea and a thought about you know, a problem that we really didn't have a great solution to. Uh, we also considered partnering with community colleges in the New Haven area, but found that, like you said, they they were really um, maybe geared towards community and a little bit a little bit of a a review kind of course for the the national certification exam and not necessarily uh, what we needed for the health system. We also had a lot of growth. Uh, Yale New Haven Hospital was building a specialty pharmacy at the time, entertaining you know business plans for home infusion pharmacy and just saw all these spaces that our staff was, you know, excited to move into and and wondering how we were going to fill the vacuum left in 
some of our more entry-level pharmacy technician positions. So, you know, this really was the answer to that, that if we if we can't recruit them and this workforce just doesn't exist, that we needed to do something to create it. Yeah, I, th- I think for both of us, we both kind of came from that background of having the inpatient pharmacy operations, right? And it often feels like that's the source for the rest of the department where they go and get great techs. Mm-hmm. So certainly, <laughs> certainly one for me was rather than getting mad every time someone got hired out of my division was to really think about building a strategic pipeline. And it's a source of pride. I mean, I love the fact that people come into our, you know, inpatient pharmacy and that's where they, you know, get their skills and they start to really get comfortable with what the rest of the system has to offer. Like I, I never, it's always a positive thing thing for me when people move on to something new and exciting, but uh, yeah, definitely it leaves us with the operational challenges of how we're going to going to continue to you know provide good patient care out of the inpatient pharmacy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next question for you, Marielle. So obviously you had this great idea, right? And you you knew that there was a need and you could see it. But how did you go about developing the business case, right, and the justification for starting a program like this? Yeah, and I I love this question because whenever I take Appy students on rotation, I we talk a lot about you have this really wonderful idea and it like you know sounds really great about you know best practice and all these, you know, wonderful theoretical things you want to do. But when you work with your finance team, you know, a lot of times they want to know two things. How much is this going to cost? And how sure are you that it's going to cost that much and not more? So we, um, we spent a lot of time, you know, for our program, you know, gathering the data that we needed to really tell the story of what was happening. We knew very well what this was and what the need was and why we needed this, but we had to, you know, show that to people that were not pharmacists and, and really weren't healthcare professionals. So we used a lot of data. We spent some time, you know, pulling national labor statistics and also labor stats from the state of Connecticut, some of those projections about the growth of the pharmacy technician role. But then we also used internal data, a lot of the internal metrics that we needed. We pulled ourselves because we didn't find, you know, that that what HR had was helpful for us. So we started to track vacancy rate and we started to track how long it took to fill positions, right? Every time we have an opening, how long does it take to fill that role from start to finish? And sometimes that was upwards of 90 days. And that started really painting a picture of, and a sense of urgency for our leadership, but then they could translate that into business case with finance. Using that vacancy rate, the time to hire, the time to train, how long it train takes to train somebody once we do get them onboarded, basically, you know, turn that into what was the cost of of doing nothing. So it's an incredible amount of overtime expense that we were spending for all those vacancies and all that recruitment time. And so we said, you know, if we do nothing, um, we're going to continue spending this money and and more with all the growth. And so really justified it from a, an expense offset perspective and presented presented as a cost avoidance proposal. And we were very conservative, I'll be honest. You, you know, we had upwards of I think 30 vacancies one year when I was pulling the data and and we proposed that we would cover five of them with this program. We really took it slow and we were nervous because we'd never done something like this before. And so we took it easy and we kind of presented a very conservative case. But actually as the years have gone on, we Reproposed to finance expansions of this business plan just based on kind of the success of it, but also how many true vacancies and, and true kind of what the real impact has been. I think I don't know if um, that mirrors your experience and what you guys have kind of presented for your program. 
Yeah, you know, pretty similar. Um, I think just a couple of things I'd tack on there is we never really envisioned this program as something that would be revenue generating, right, in any kind of significant way. This was a break-even proposal for us that if we could cover the costs of the program, um, build a better pipeline into our organization, that was certainly worth any investment that we put into it. So that was one thing. And, And then the second thought I had is, gosh, if I had to do this proposal now, it would be a slam dunk. Right, the the cost yeah. of labor, how much uh, time? Oh my and energy, gosh, yeah. You know, systems across the the country are spending to recruit pharmacy technicians to retain pharmacy technicians. Um, I think we've both seen uh, what I think we would both say is appropriate inflation in their wages. I think we've always wanted to have our pharmacy technicians compensated at a better rate, but uh, also the tactics around sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses, you know, all that sort of stuff that systems are having to do now to attract the talent that they need. The business case nowadays is even easier than it was, you know, several years ago when you and I both did this. We used to charge tuition for this program. And that was just like a nice, like you said, we're not generating revenue, but it was an added kind of add on to our business case that we would charge tuition. We don't even do that anymore because we just, it's not significant in any way. And over time, like you said, the cost of this way outweighs the uh, the benefit way always the cost of something like this. So. Yeah, we we just did the same this year. We um <laughs> we dropped the tuition requirement, and again, it, it's such a valuable um, way that we get folks into our organization and and fill really critical roles for us. That that's a drop in the bucket compared to the the cost. Excellent. So, moving into what do our programs actually look like? Will you share what the uh, overall program model is for you guys and kind of how, how that is organized? Yeah, and I think this is probably a good place for us to compare and contrast a little bit because yeah. we've, we've built them sort of differently. Um, I'll start with ours. Um, so we run our cohorts three times a year. We have a cohort in August, April, and January. And our goal is to have an efficient program where we can uh, train folks on the ASHP model curriculum, the entry-level curriculum, in approximately 10 weeks, right? It depends on if some holidays fall in there, but about 10 to 11 weeks. Um, that allows us to run three cohorts a year. And if you look at the timing of when we do ours, uh, our August cohort finishes up early November. And so we get this nice little break from beginning of November through December, uh, enjoy our holiday season, and then we start back up in January. Our program is meant to be a training program, right, to really fill our our labor and our workforce needs. I think as as a contrast to maybe our um, community college partners, they're looking to give academic credit, right, and and sort of college credit. And so I think those are very different missions that we have. Like all ASHP accredited programs, there's three components, right? So we've got didactic, simulation, and experiential, right? So real-time in pharmacies, working right alongside pharmacy technicians and pharmacists. And I think what was an innovative uh, thing at the time for us, I think it's more common now, was that we partnered with a digital content provider. Um, This really provided us the ecosystem where we had no lag time to get it up and running, right? We were able to start our program about two months after we signed the contract with our vendor. It allows us to have content that had already passed ASHP accreditation standards with ASHP and ACPE. And then something I wasn't smart enough to realize at the beginning, um, but certainly appreciate now, is the updating of that content, right? That that's, a, that's time and effort that, that we really don't have to expend on it's sort of baked into the tool that we use. Uh, the other aspects of it is um, it allows for asynchronous learning, right? So some of their didactic, or all, all of their didactic really, and some of their simulations, we allow the students to do at the day of week and week in time of day of their choosing, right? They can do it from their couch or their kitchen, their kitchen table. Um, they don't always need to be on site at our campus to complete those aspects of the program. So 
uh, for working professionals, right? People that are trying to maintain some amount of income while they're in our program, uh, it gives them that flexibility. In terms of the way we administer our program, I assign approximately 40 hours worth of content in a seven-day period. It doesn't always work out perfectly. Some weeks are 35, some weeks are 34, uh, you know, 42, but approximately that much over each time period. And then we keep the team, the um, cohort accountable by kind of weekly updates of we expect this many hours to be done, you're you're this far into it. And by having a digital tool where all this lives, all my documentation for accreditation, all my hours tracking all the grading happens automatically, right? Like that's a lot of time off of a program director's calendar where uh, leveraging software has really made it pretty effective for us. So those are kind of the big broad strokes of our program. We finished 13 cohorts, so we've uh, had pretty successful run. We took a little brief pause during COVID just institutionally as we had to work out how we were going to have learners uh, in our environment, but um, we're well past that now and um, it's second nature, so... Why don't you tell me a little bit about your program? Obviously, we we used a little bit of different models to set them up. We did. We did. And we made some changes to ours over the years. We've been around since the fall of 2017 and actually started as a residency project that I was in charge of. So I kind of created my own job in that. But, you know, as most residency projects go, it was very much like from the ground up from my end. And I built the content and the didactic experiences and um, all the simulation exercises, um, you know, with the help of my project team. But, um, you know, that quickly became unsustainable. And I think, you know, when you and I first talked about a program and connected on this, like in years past, I shared that that was our model. We've since actually moved to a content vendor to organize that for us for all of the reasons that you listed, right? The the ease of managing the accreditation standards, the ease of updating content, right? All these 797 changes that are coming through, you know, that's on the vendor to bring that forward and to update that content. And we're not, we don't need to be content experts within our training team for that. The flexibility for the students has been really great. So that is actually one of the number one things I tell people now when they, they ask me about starting their own program is like, don't make the mistake of trying to tackle your own content, you know, and, you know, that's just like my personal opinion, but it was just, it became a bear really. Um, so that moving to that online content was been really, really nice for us. We do rolling admissions. So we actually, you know, the way that it works out, we overlap cohorts. So we actually have at any given time people in three different phases of the program. We have people doing their didactics, you know, on their own time, people on site for simulation and on site for experiential rotations. So we probably put through five or six cohorts a year, maybe about 12 to 15 students per cohort. So it's become a pretty large uh, program. We also do the advanced level program. So that comes for those that are listening that don't know, um, ASHP and ACPE have two different accreditation standards, an entry level and an advanced level program. Um, The advanced level program just adds objectives um, and requirements on top of the entry-level program. Um, and so we, we've been doing the advanced program since the start, which does, you know, make it a little bit more complicated and more complex to, to manage, but has kind of served our needs because we have technicians that fill IV room training and all that stuff that it provides. I think about any major differences uh, for us. One of the things that um, that we ran into, you know, as far as experiential training was that we wanted to provide that and provide that hands-on training that ASHP required in their accreditation standards. 
So our students do come on site and do that, but that required for us specifically in our state to pursue a waiver to allow the students to participate and and actually, you know, handle medications in the pharmacy. But, you know, that was something that uh, early on in this in this development, we thought, oh, no, we might not be able to have students even handle medications to get that learning. But we've been able to do that successfully. So. Yeah, I think that's a really important nuance to, to highlight for the folks listening, right, that it is a state by state thing to navigate and, and certainly understanding uh, what's allowable in your state or what kind of waiver you need to apply for. Uh, I think that's really important. I wanted to ask, too, I realize I actually don't know this about your program. You don't hire the students that are in the program, correct? I tell my students when they're thinking about applying that think about this as a 10-week job interview, both for you and for us, right? That we're both trying to assess, is this a great fit for you? Or is pharmacy work the type of work that you want to be doing? Obviously, we do a fair amount of explaining and vetting and, and that sort of stuff. But We've been really fortunate. We are well over 90% of everyone that's gone through our program. Uh, we've retained within the organization, hired them either as a pharmacy technician or in a different role within our health system. But uh, I have had a couple of students that recognize, wow, pharmacy's really on your feet, right? It's hard. It's physical. Certainly walking around a thousand bed hospital, there's a lot to it. So um, we have had a, a couple of candidates that have been really great students, done really well, but they've they've sort of determined through their experiential time with us that maybe it's not not the best for them. Um, and then we source our candidates in a hybrid way, right? So half of our candidates are just from the community, right? People that apply uh, and join the program. And the other half are actually internal staff members to our health system today, um, but see pharmacy technicians as, as an enhancement, right? A kind of a professionalization of work that they're doing in the health system. And so for those individuals, we're able to offer uh, a different tuition navigation process where if they sign a retention agreement with the organization, that we can waive that for them. Yeah. I've spoken to a few few organizations as they start programs where they, they entertain a model where they actually hire the student as like a per diem or a temporary employee while they're in the program. So it's interesting, just different ways of handling that. So those students end up being, you know, compensated, you know, in some way for their time in the program. But we've taken the same approach that you do, which is that you're a true student in the program. And then after that, your graduation from the program, you know, pursuing employment with us, hopefully, or, or anywhere is kind of the next step for you. But um, we actually have a similar mix. Uh, I think you mentioned like maybe half external, half internal. A lot of people from other departments that just see pharmacy out and about around the hospital, or they see our brochure sitting around at the cafeteria, and they want to know more about it and make their way to us you know, through, through that internal marketing. Yeah, I'm curious, do you tend to see a little bit of competition amongst your pharmacies uh, competing for this talent? Um, I think students who do really well and are great fits, we often have multiple different parts of our department wanting to hire them. Yes, we're so large, which I think you guys are too. And it's um, it becomes a little, I think, overwhelming for the candidates. Uh, we actually started a process uh, recently where HR comes and meets with the candidates as they're nearing graduation and shares with those those future graduates what the uh, job openings are across the system and what they can expect in each area because it's just very overwhelming I think for them to you know see all of these job openings and have multiple hiring managers kind of reaching out and saying like hey what are you doing next year so we try to see streamline that a little bit but you're right you know we've got people reaching out to our coordinators saying hey when does the next class graduate how many people do you have do they want to come work here so which is really exciting for us but definitely um turns into, like you said, a little internal competition. 
All right, well, why don't we go to the next topic? Uh, we've talked a little bit about our models and how they operate, um, but we've both probably learned some things along the way. So what are some challenges that you had and things you've kind of changed uh, over time? Yeah, of course. I mentioned the switch to virtual content for our program. That was huge. The conversation around that actually was picked off by the COVID-19 pandemic. Before that was when we were 100% on site, uh, in person. And in those first few weeks of the pandemic, you know, we were just scrambling about how we were going to continue to offer this program. And so as we moved to virtual and realized, you know, this could be something that really works for the long term, we were seeing those benefits. That's when we started to, um, to engage with a vendor for that. So that has to be like the number one, you know, change that I can think of that we've really seen a lot of positive effects from. So now we do maintain that virtual hybrid with on-site um, training. Another challenge that we, you know, kind of realized early on was that barrier to entry as a result of the tuition. And so she was, you know, our coordinator is excellent. And she escalated to us that she was seeing really qualified candidates and people who were otherwise very well motivated to do this and be successful drop out because they could not afford the cost of tuition. We have a few avenues to help people with tuition uh, or had a few avenues to help people with tuition. If somebody is internal to the organization, you know, they can utilize tuition reimbursement. Our program qualifies for that employee benefit. We also have partnerships with, you know, state funding sources and workforce development boards to kind of assist people with the cost. But, you know, ultimately, you know, in talking about that trend with our leadership and, you know, community engagement teams, it kind of became apparent that charging tuition was was kind of opposite to our overall goal of, you know, promoting diversity and inclusion in the workplace and trying to, you know, ensure access to this career opportunity for for lots of different people. So we just decided to do away with it and said, you know, this is not worth worth it. And um, and so I think that's, you know, another thing that early on we did and we felt like that was important to charge tuition for the program. And, and in retrospect, we just felt like you know, that was not not worth it. Those are the, the biggest challenges, I think, for us. You know, now with virtual learning, I will say, comes with its own set of challenges. Uh, you know, there's an accountability aspect to virtual learning, you know, and ensuring that the students in the program can manage their time and, and can keep up with the deadlines. So our coordinator spends a lot of time on those skills with the students now, which, which is not something we had to do when they were on site. But, you know, we've been able to adapt to that. How about you? What about major challenges for your program? Yeah, I'll, I'll highlight maybe two learnings I had. One was early on, after our first cohort, we we received the approval to do our process where we have internal applicants, right? And, and they can um, use a model we call it the 2020 model. Uh, if it's a full-time employee, they spend 20 hours in their home department, um, and then they actually get paid 20 hours out of a program budget. Um, and it has the benefit of um, the individual keeps their salary. They still keep all of their benefits. It really kind of keeps them fully engaged with us as their employer. And so my first cohort that I got to re recruit internally, I was like, oh, great. I'll start in my normal cycle of recruiting and interviewing. Uh, and then I'll let these home departments know that their student will be joining our program in, in about a month. As you can imagine, that is not enough time for any uh, anybody to give another uh, department for someone that's going to, you know, was working full time and is now going to only be available to them for about 20 hours. So pretty quickly, uh, I learned my recruitment cycles needed to be longer um, and that it was important that we gave plenty of notice. 
Um, but we also started doing manager education sessions, right? So I had these, you know, learn about the program sessions for protective, prospective students. Really, after we enrolled them, we needed to do a separate session just for those people's managers. So they knew what their employee was getting into. Um, I had a wonderful HR business partner um, who kind of uh, walked this path with me and, and she and I. Uh, really walk these external managers through what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, how we're going to collaborate. Uh, and so that was a really good learning and something pretty quickly after the after the first mistake we corrected. I think the second thing I learned, and again, this was sort of a COVID thing, um, but also just as we talked about, pharmacy departments do a lot of teaching, right? And they have a lot of learners. And so we needed to be cognizant of IPPE students, APPPE students, and then the pharmacy technology training program students, along with the students that we were still accepting from our community college partners. So just a little higher level of coordination, really thinking more globally about all of the learners that were going to be in the environment, um, trying to spread them out so that we didn't burden any one practice site or over overwhelm them. Uh, but that's something uh, I think with a strong experiential program coordinator, um, we're, we're fortunate to have a, a really, really great technician who, who does that, a lot of that um, scheduling and follow-up and um, getting that feedback for us. So once you get organized around it, it's certainly something that you can overcome, um, but it was a, a good learning early on and something that we've been able to, to solve pretty easily. And we had to do a lot of education for our staff, even. Who are these people? Are they going to come on rotation with you? What do you do with them? <laughs> what do they Absolutely. need to learn? What are the rules around, you know, their their time with you? You know, they're not interns, pharmacy interns, like, you know, a lot of them are used to. They're not residents. They're not happy students. So, yeah. Like, what, who are they? Who are you? <laughs> was really um was interesting, you know. And we did all this work to get the students up and running, and then it was also making sure that the staff you know, contributed to their their valuable learning time. Yeah, that's a really important. You set preceptors right for each experiential site, but really kind of coaching those preceptors, mm-hmm. just like we develop preceptors for uh, for residency. Yeah. Same thing. Excellent. Well, as you and I both know, ASHP accreditation standards require us to have a strategic plan and to measure how our programs are performing. So can you talk a little bit about the key outcomes uh, and things that you're measuring and and what you're seeing from your graduates? Yeah. So, you know, as we've kind of alluded to already today, our main goal with this program was to hire program graduates on our team to kind of, you know, have that source of of candidates. So we track a lot of metrics that monitor program success and student success, but the most important one for me is, is really higher rate. You know, at, at Yale New Haven, we've hired about almost 75 program graduates since we started the program. And that represents a higher rate of about 85%. I'll say that the majority of times, the reason that we're not hiring somebody is that they've either gone to a different organization, maybe usually it's closer to home or or different pace than what they have seen while they're on rotation. And we do have even a normal kind of dropout or, or dismissal rate from the program as well. So around 85%, which is, you know, really great for us. At at one point in time, I did the math and about 40% of technicians in our central pharmacy had come from the program. And, you know, to me, like as somebody that started the program to kind of see that, that it's sometimes on on a shift, everybody has graduated from the program and I'm looking around and it's fully run by program graduates. It's really exciting. You know, overall program success, we track things like acceptance, an enrollment rate and attrition rate so that we can kind of plan, you know, if we want to have X number of people in each cohort, this is what we need to shoot for, for recruitment. Um, We track national certification pass rate, graduation rate from the program. And then just recently I've started to try to figure out how to best track um, training time 
in turnover rate for these graduates as compared to people that have not graduated the program but work for us. And that's really a little bit of a project for me, but I think what I'm hoping to do is kind of continue to justify expansion of this program maybe to other hospitals in our delivery network by showing, you know, maybe these people take less time to train or they stay with us longer than people who haven't graduated the program and kind of further justify this because, um, you know, I think that we could do well to have little maybe satellite programs at some of the other hospitals. You know, we're coming up for accreditation again this year. Uh, last time we were received that full like six-year accreditation. So something else that we'll have we'll be reporting out to our leadership and making part of our strategic plan this year is is the accreditation outcome. Anything additional that you track for your program that you kind of you know keep keep your eyes on? Yeah, you hit you hit all the main ones. I also have the good fortune of uh, serving on the Pharmacy Technician Accreditation Council, right? So I, I get to be one of the surveyors who comes around and accredits programs. And Yale Yale New Haven is not on my schedule yet. Maybe I get to come up and visit you. That would be great. You've hit a lot of them, right? We look at PTCV pass rate, graduation rate, retention rate, all of those sorts of things are really important. Um, student evaluation of instructors, right? All of that sort of stuff's important. And just to put in a quick plug for them, PTAX does have a really strong example of what a sample strategic plan looks like, what some of the goals and objectives you could or should be monitoring for a program if you're thinking about starting one up. Um, and that's all on the ASHP website and a great resource for anybody who's who's starting to, to think about a program like this. So yeah, so from my perspective, I think uh, we're really aligned. Uh, I will I will share, we did do in our most recent work on the program, uh, we did determine our retention rates and our retention rates for our employees that we hire, you know, external to the program versus that we uh, hired internal to the program. Uh, and it was actually part of our best practice award application this year that we're well over 90% for folks that trained in our program are still with us. Um, you've got to get a couple of years under your belt, right, to have big enough numbers to, to make any kind of meaningful conclusions. But when we did the math on it, it was astounding, the rate at which folks that train with us um, tend to stay within our organization versus individuals that we just hire off the street. So, I think there's something to be said for, you know, and I don't have any data to back this up, but I think there's something to be said for the commitment that you make when you enter a program like this. You know, you it's the same thing if you think about, you know, when you entered pharmacy school, like I'm making this, this commitment with my time and my energy to this, this program, this career. And I think that changes the mindset as you kind of move through the program and then graduate, that this is something that you chose, you elected to do. This is yours. It's your commitment as far as like a professional career. And I really love that about, that's been one of the really neat, um, you know, I, I didn't expect that consequence or maybe I didn't see that coming, but that has been one of the really um, awesome you know, bonuses to see out of something like this. Yeah, it's it's always that um, you have some loyalty to your alma mater, right? Where you train, <laughs> it's always has a special place for you in your, yeah, in your heart. So absolutely. And I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. All right, Marielle, well, we've had a great time talking. Let, let's get one more question in. If somebody was to call you up, which I'm sure they do all the time and say they're thinking about starting a program, uh, what's your number one piece of advice for them? My number one, I have a lot of advice that I offer people that go on call. I think, you know, my number one is that, especially if you're in a large, you know, health system, there are so many resources available to you. I found myself in the early years of this program, reinventing the wheel on things that I, I didn't need to do. And I just didn't know that I, I didn't need to do that. You know, I would I was like marketing this on my personal social media pages, 
we have a full marketing team that has social media, you know, contacts and they'll, they'll post things. And I, it just it was about getting connected with the right people that took me some time to do. And so, you know, between our HR team, you know, talent acquisition that helps us with recruitment, they refer candidates to our program. Like I said, our marketing team does both internal and external marketing for us. They'll post when we have an open house event. You know, recently we got connected with our community engagement office to help us talk with high schools in the area about setting up type of a a high school credit program for students who are interested in this. And then, you know, our finance team, I, I was doing a lot of the math on how to create this business case and continue to show the ROI for this program myself when we have finance partners who who do this every day. So getting connected with those people, finding out who those partners are that you can, you know, show them what this work is and and how important it is and, and get them on board to kind of help you with that stuff is so important. Cause I, I did feel like in the beginning, I was trying to be an expert in a lot of things that are just not my area. And you know, over time, having made those connections with with the right people in our organization has really paid off. Yeah. By you, number one, number one piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, I think partnership, partnership, partnership. Yeah. Right, that's the name of the game. I would say our our two strongest partners, obviously, was our HR department. They were fantastic to work with. Really helpful in terms of setting kind of some policy stuff for us, kind of um, working through, you know, employee retention agreement, all of those sorts of things. They were great partners. Uh, And then secondly was for us a digital content provider is finding a really good source to, to have that didactic, the place to document our experiential and then really run our simulations through. Having that repository saves us tons of hours every year running this program. So excellent. Well, great. I'm so glad we were able to connect today. It was great to see you. Me too. This is really wonderful. I I love talking about our program. I love talking about technician training in general. Um, so it's been really, really enjoyable. Thank you, uh, those who are listening, for joining us today for this discussion. We hope that you got something out of it and that you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to check out the resources available at www.rxtechteam.org for all things recruitment and retention strategies for pharmacy technicians. We really hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcasts through your favorite podcast provider and have a great day. Thank you, Matt. See you, Mariel. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage Podcast, Engaging the Experts. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time for more expert perspectives on ASHP Official.